How do you unlock your full potential of influence and create lasting change? I'm your co-host, Dave Donaldson. Along with your other co-host, Scott Young, welcome to the Influencers Podcast. Join us each week for inspirational stories and strategies from leaders, experts, and professionals around the globe. We want to see you get equipped and empowered to make an impact that resounds from your neighborhood to the nations. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a true rock star? Well, I've got a couple rock stars with me. Uh, Pastor Paula White, prolific speaker, best-selling author, uh, advisor uh, to the former president of the United States, and Jonathan Cain, leader of the band Journey, my favorite band growing up in the Bay Area. Good to be here. Yes, sir. So, Paula, you know your husband better than anybody. I do, Dave. I think so. <laughs> it's pretty amazing because most people know John from Journey, and I have the deepest respect, and we're going to dive into that. But when they really get to know him, they say they always say this. He's so humble. He's such. He's so down to earth, and he is. And I think John even perceives himself in that way. But I get I get to see both worlds. I see the the Journey life world, and John. I've got to say this Journey, as we set up the background. I mean, is sold over. 100 million albums and that's after you know what the scanning what sound scan which was 1989 they didn't even count the most it'd be a lot more than that rock and roll hall of fame they just got inducted for don't stop believing as a grammy uh they've had so many iconic hits with steve perry and that that voice and just the writing of john putting in melodies he always said i'm gonna put my signature in song and they play for over a million people. Think about it. Pack out mm. stadiums still. You've been doing this, John, for over 50 years, and you've been in Journey for now 40-something years and continue to go very, very, very strong with this. But I've got to say, like Dave said, I grew up, I, I spent a few years in the Bay Area mm-hmm. listening to your great music, and when John and I met, I said, okay, I've got a confession. I've got to tell you that my first boyfriend and all, we really connected, and I made out with a few guys to your songs. And I stopped right there to see how anybody, he goes, don't worry, he goes, a lot of people have had babies to it. And I thought, yes, they have, because I think it was the song that inspired me more. Don't worry, guys, I didn't grow up in church, so you'll hear my story at one point. Well, you <laughs> know, I, I had a Journey poster up on the wall. See? So you, John, <laughs> and your team were sending me to hell. So exactly. Just- by your mom yep absolutely so john what's it like to think about your influence as a rock star when rock and roll was really coming forth in the late in the 70s here you were with the babies with journey and the influence you've had on generations and what it's like to be up on that stage and has that influence and that weight ever weighed on you well well thanks um you know, it's been uh, such a blessed time. I'm celebrating my 40th year as a member of Journey, 1981, 2021. Hey, congrats. 40, That's 40 awesome. years, I'm enjoying it. Um, finishing up a new record, a new album to come out. Um, but going back, I have to give my father all the credit um, for staying with me uh, as a musician uh, and standing uh, and being the vision keeper. So I... I give my father credit for keeping me on track and, and keeping that vision alive when I was discouraged. I think anybody out there that's listening that has a dream needs a vision keeper. 
and if it's not your dad or your mom or maybe your uncle, maybe your best friend, uh, have a covenant with somebody with your dream and, and seal it and agree upon it and always go back there and touch it and talk about it. And that's what my father constantly did. You know, we, were, we, had, a, we had a path and he would sit with me every Saturday night after golf and he'd say okay how are we doing this week what are we doing with our music this week where are we going this week what are you learning this week what do you what's your goals in you know in in college you know and I, I came at crossroads actually I, I I got accepted at Northwestern University for journalism I was the editor of our school paper journalism or I was going to go to the conservatory of Chicago music academy right so it just came to the fact that you know I was so interested in Northwestern I didn't have the money my father didn't have the money. It was just, so we're going to go music all the way. And we agreed, my dad and I agreed that was the choice. Of course, that was 1969. The Democratic Convention comes to Chicago, and then all heck broke loose. I mean, they had that big, you know, unrest. It was rioting, and they brought the yippies and the police, and they were clashing. It was a lot like today, you know, what we saw last summer was happening in Chicago. The National Guard showed up with the bayonets. You know, so I'm going to school in this chaotic place. They had, um, and it turns out this school was uh, quite radical. You know, there was all these radical organizations having meetings, and they had Marxist meetings, and all. I said, "What kind of school is this?" But I was learning music, and I turned it. You know, really helped me a lot because I studied orchestration. I played every instrument. I learned how to arrange. Um, I, 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 my major was in piano and um, and voice, and so. I got to a point where I knew I wasn't going to be a virtuoso. I knew I wasn't going to be a music teacher, and I learned what I needed to learn. I had made it through the draft. They were drafting us, right, in 69, and I stayed out of the draft because God gave me a draft number of 351 or something like that. I forget it was in the 300s. So they couldn't touch me. I made B, B averages. So then it was just a restlessness over me. You know, I needed to go on the road, I needed to write. I needed to learn who I was as, you know, my father was, so I left home, you know, when I was 22. And um, I went on the road with my brother. And my father always, though, was, you know, praying for me and covering me. And, you know, I got offers to be in bands that said, you know, you want to do drugs, you know, with us. Uh, you can't get in the band until you do drugs. And dad would always tell me that, Drugs are the devil's work, you know. Don't even go there. Make me a promise. So I had a covenant with him. I said, I promise, I'm not doing that. So I give a lot of credit for my longevity in the business from my father, you know, who prophesied over me. And then I got to actually make that uh, dream come true when he came to Journey uh, in Chicago in 1982 to see his son. You know, that's my dad. And and that after the show, he dragged me out into the parking lot. And uh, he made me put a hat on, and he said, let's go interview some of these fans and see what they think of Jonathan Cain. So he, he actually did this. He took me out. And they were tailgating, waiting for the traffic. Oh. To and, and he'd say, what do you think of the new songs? Um, oh, they're really good. We really like them. What do you think of that new keyboard player? He's really cool. And they didn't even know it was me, you know, because I'm, I'm this little guy on the stage. They didn't have video screens back in those. And uh, I, I was just like, and, you got, and then my father, you got a beer? <laughs> um, but here's my dad, you know, so proud of his son. Here's the evidence, John. I'm going to show you how much they love you. You know, did you miss the other keyboard player? 
And I honestly, one of my biggest fears was I'd see a sign in the audience, we want Greg Raleigh, who was the, you know, that would, that was, I never saw one. Never saw, we miss Greg Raleigh. Where's Greg Raleigh? Never saw one of those signs. And so um, my, I was kind of nervous my first show, you know, come on. But I have to tell you, when it time to, came time to play, I had a confidence about me, and I had the Holy Spirit come over me and say, you deserve this. You have fought your way to this place. Mm. You have scratched and clawed mm. and believed, and you've been rejected. You've been kicked to the curb. You've been told you can't sing. You can't write. They tried to discourage you. They tried to frustrate you. They tried to run you off. And you're here with the top band in the country playing for 30,000 people. Amen? And so I, I had a, a calmness come over me. Thank you. You know, I do deserve this. I earned this. You know, so I never had this um, guilt about my success. I knew that God, and just... For, for God to put me with this talented bunch of guys, I knew I couldn't lose. And the other thing that God did for me, never look back, John. Never question it. N- never never wonder, well, why me? Why me? I never did. I was completely bold. I entered in boldly. I stayed there. I knew this was an anointing. This was my job. And as a rock star, you know, when you, you, start, you start understanding how much they love journey our fans are like gold-plated fans we have like incredibly dedicated fans they're just not like fly-by-night fans they love journey and i saw that when i was in the babies and i said you know what's missing with you guys when i you're you're not singing to them you need to sing to them you need to sing about their lives that's what they want love and touching is fine but what about the small town girl and the city boy so I brought the street, I brought the fans, um, and so when I'm when I'm in the studio, it's one of the most sterile places in the world to be. What do I think about our fans? I conjure when I'm writing the song, hardest thing in the world to do. What do I think about our fans? What was our fans want to hear? What was the what would a guy that's got his arm around his girlfriend want us to sing? Faithfully, maybe. I'm forever yours faithfully. That might be a good start. Yeah. You know, so there's a responsibility to a degree, you know, of conduct uh, that my father taught me, you know, um, you're my son, you represent me. So everything you do is an extension of who I am. It's your identity, my identity. We are of the same blood. You, you represent me, John, and go forth like that, you know. If you want, you know, just think what makes dad proud, that's what you do, you know. And so it's funny because when I joined Journey, I realized they were only only sons. They didn't have brothers. Steve Perry didn't have a brother. Mm. Neil Sean didn't have a brother. I think Ross probably the only one. Ross had a brother. Um, and I said, these guys, they need a brother. That's all. And I became the glue between the two of them. They were kind of drifting away when I first got, I, I felt a little you know, tension between the two of them, Neil and Steve. And then when I, I got, you know, having two brothers of my own, who I still love and adore, um, I was like, I'm just gonna be the big brother here. I'm gonna make sure that everything that Steve's, I'm gonna find out, check in with each one of them and then bring them together over me, amen? So that's kind of 
what I did as a member of Journey, but I also want to say that our fans um, really guide me. You know, our fans, I know they're praying for me. I know they're, you know, they're, they're hoping good things for Journey. We wouldn't be nowhere without our fans. I know that for a fact. And, um, and that's why I'm constantly out there, you know, shaking hands and, and, and making myself accessible when I can. Um, because they, you know, you're sort of like the knight of the round table, especially after being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm standing on stage at the, at the, uh, at the Brooklyn, uh, whatever, I forget the name of it, but there's like 20,000, and I realize that we're, we're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because of them. It's, mm-hmm. we, did we do good? Yeah. Why do we do good? We did good for them. We, we made music for them. And um, as a rock, rock and roll representative of the business, you know, I want to um, lead that example. Now, did, did I see a lot of crazy, weird stuff happen? Yeah, drugs in the 80s were just out of control. You know, I saw uh, cocaine just absolutely destroy people's lives. Um, and I stayed away from it, you know. I, but I, I also mourned a lot of great people going down the tubes, and I watched the way it destroyed their lives. How and did you do that, John? I mean, I used to watch that show, Behind the Music. Yeah. yeah. And so many of your peers, mm. you know, self-destructed yeah. because of the fame, the drugs, yeah. uh, the you know, money, the access, the women. groupies, and you know that it's every one of those shows. It well, just well, I mean, luckily, I you know, I when I joined Journey, I was married, and um, you know, I was going to be that that guy, that husband that was faithful. I wrote faithfully. I was I was the guy, you know. Mm-hmm. So I stayed away from all that um uh, for a long time. Um you know, my marriage went on the rocks. Um uh, you know, the other thing I wanted to say that with every ounce of success, the enemy is coming for his. Mm. You know, uh he's gonna take from you what what God gave to you. And and if you're not dig, uh, vigilant about guarding against opening Access, giving the enemy access to taking from you because, you know, there's a give and take uh, situation. It's heaven and hell. It's right here. And so, you know, when I, it seemed like the more success I got, the more the enemy got in. And, and I, I let him do it. I let him do it in a lot of ways because I wasn't defensive. You know, I, I, spiritually, I was not in um, a place where. I would think the enemy was was marching and coming for me, but boy, he was coming for me, you know, big time. Oh, John, we've got something for you too. It's called divorce. You know, here it is. And it's gonna cost you, John. We're gonna take all the money you made. You're gonna lose it all in this divorce. I'm like, no, 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 you know. But that was being naive as a Christian, not guarding, not being vigilant, not really, you know. So I, I warn people that get great success to not get lazy, to pray, to cover yourself mm-hmm. spiritually, get people to pray for you, to cover you, that know that the enemy's coming. He, he, there's just no way he's not gonna come for you. You know, and I watched all my bandmates, um, you know, we made a lot of money, but we paid a price for it, you know? The road is um, a lonely place. It can be very lonely. I, you know, I fill my days with exercise and golf and all kinds of stuff I to stay out of, the, the things that can get you in trouble out there, you know, you need to occupy your, yourself. But I've seen really, really horrible things happen on the road. We had a couple of guys that just got all strung out and, 
and lost, you know. Uh, so, so we pay a price for the road life we live. It's not something that uh, is very glamorous. And back in the old days, we used to get off the bus smelling like diesel. You know, uh, you can't remember your fo- your own phone number. You know, and they, your friends all forget. They color you gone. Your your kids color you gone. You come home and you might as well be a porch dog. You know what I mean? Um, with the absence of not. Also, the road can kind of lead to this sort of entitlement. You know, you're having people do everything for you all the time, you know, this and, and, and you're on a schedule. It's like being in the Army. You can't be late. When it's, when it's time to go, you go. You're just like in the military. You know, you, you've, you're very regimented time schedule when you're working in a band and you have a schedule. You have a road manager. You got to be there. You got to do this. got to get this interview. Get to there. Get to sleep so you can... You don't look like bad when you get on front of a camera. You know, all these things. Um, there was a lot of demands uh, on us at the time. But with that, then you have the days off. And then you come home and, you, and you're with your family and, and you have to just shift gears. You have to shift gears. You've got to go, whoa, whoa, I'm not on the road. I don't have the schedule anymore. I, I'm not, I can just relax. And I'm not a rock star. I'm, I'm going to cook dinner. I'm going to do the laundry. I'm going to. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to school with my kids. I'm going to make lunch for my kids. I'm going to shift. So that's the hardest part is, is being no, what's normal life like and then shifting back to, to you know, being King Farouk on the road. You know, and, and we stay at the five-star hotels, and we have everybody doing everything for us all the time. And when you come home, you better know who you are. You know, it's time to get your feet on the ground. And, and be that guy too. So, so it's, there's a duality that goes with, with being a, a rock star. It's, it's pretty interesting because I think your father played such an important role in your life to keep you very well grounded. Because like Dave said, Amen. so many people do self-destruct and Amen. you've shared those stories how you've survived it. Um, but not just survived, you've, you've actually thrived as a musician and a songwriter talk about the process for writing those songs and the band adopting them into an album and what advice you would give to an inspiring musician who says I want this life because some people don't know what they're really asking for Mm -hmm. when they desire something well you know for me the process of writing songs is you know Steve Perry and I used to always say you know we're just trying to sell a feeling and um, you know whatever that feeling is and for me I try to make my songs unique. Their 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 personality of what I think that maybe hasn't been said. I try to write something that hasn't been said quite that way, with an angle that is coming in from a little different direction. I try to write about true life. You know, um, a lot of times, like a song like "Faithfully" just comes from the road, right? So that's that's road life. Um, separate ways happen out of divorce. You know, one of the guys was getting divorced, so we wrote this song called Separate Ways. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm getting divorced. I'm hearing my own song on the radio going, okay, now what do I do? So then I write a song called I'll Be All Right Without You. So it, so you get lemons you make lemonade kind of thing. And so it, it's, it's easy. I have the sound of journey in my head most of the time. Uh, and, and during those years, God was uh, good to me and giving me the melodies that Steve absolutely loved to sing, you know, and he and I had this special, special relationship um, that only God could have landed. You know, only he knew 
that Steve Perry would be the answer, you know, for all my questions about who I am, you know, and he helped me find my identity. Um, I'm still writing the same songs I wrote 40 years ago because that's who I am, you know. Um, I haven't changed much. I don't, I don't, you know, just follow the the trend. You're, you're not going to hear hip-hop out of me. Um, I'm just, not, you know, you're not going to hear rap music from Jonathan Cain. You're going to hear Jonathan Cain. Um, I learned that a long time ago when Isaac Kays, I met him in Georgia, and I said, Isaac, how, how did you uh, just come upon this sound? He said, John, I've been doing this my whole life. They just finally found out about it. <laughs> he, said, he said, don't change. You know, and I asked Stevie Wonder, Stevie, what's, what's advice for you, for me, to me? He said, don't leave too many unfinished songs around, John. Don't leave them laying around. Finish them. Don't leave them unfinished. He said, unfinished songs are cluttering your mind. I said, okay, Steve, thank you. That's some good advice right there from right a, there. For aspiring And musician. I do that. I do finish. Uh, hmm. I, I'm, when I write, I write furiously. I write like we're on to something. There's like it's got to be urgent fin- to get what we get. So I'm pretty intense when I start a song with somebody. You know, I went to Nashville and was trying to write with some of these guys, and there was just a bunch of whatevers. I would get. I, I wrote this. Tried to write the song with this guy, and he kept changing his mind about what the song was. Every time I saw him, we start again. I said, "How can we do this? This I I don't do it, you know." And I guess I'm intimidating to write with. That's well, probably you what. should see him in the studio. I've watched him. You are in the most um, in intense. The most, I, that's great. I, Zach, I was going to say, in the most polite way, I'm going to say, you're a beast. But I mean that in the I'm best intense. I'm, you know, and, and Steve was like that, too. Steve and I, once we got on, we were like hunting a wild beast. <laughs> you got we it. were like hunting an animal down. You know, we're going to hunt it down, but we're going to get it. And it's going to be our, our prize. You okay, know? He right, goes talking into about mode. a dream it's team. Like, I have a question for you, John. Celebrities, whether it be music, sports, acting, a lot of them, uh, one of the reasons why they do self-destruct is this ebb and flow. Yeah. And it leads to a discontentment. And and that really is what the enemy uses as a seed, you know, for divorce yep. and, and all the other, you know, brokenness. How did you deal with that? I mean, you're, you're standing in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people. You know, they all want your autograph, or and they want to go home with you. You know, I mean, you you're the reason they're there. In fact, Paula, you've you've stood before you know before tens of thousands of adoring fans, and it might be at a church or a stadium. Uh, how do you guys the fame, uh, but also that fame it, it comes and goes. Exactly. Yeah, I think you know keep th- keeping things. Things in perspective is really the key. You know, um, understanding the um, the idea of being accepted and uh, the approval. So you you have an approval that the fans give you. You have an acceptance that they give you. Um, there's a responsibility that comes with that. You know, they have given up their time to come see you. Uh, and so I consider a lot. I open my my mind and my heart. When I look out there and I see, I, they have to have babysitters and they had to schlep through the parking lot and they had to pay all this crazy money to come and see us. You know, that, so, so it's, it's understanding and recognizing the exchange 
It's an exchange. You give your best, they give you their approval and acceptance, which allows the whole thing to continue on. Without the fans, without their approval and acceptance, um, we, we have emptiness. There is nothing. Um, so you need to understand the way it works. It is not unlike a pastor in a church. And sometimes when I look out there and they have their lights all lit up, it's not unlike a congregation that they come to approve and accept and sometimes really adore what they hear. You know, this, we, we're selling a feeling. We're selling an era that was a, was a certain era. Journey music is certainty in uncertain times. We have a very certain thing about our music that I think is soothing and um, takes people back to the good old Reagan days, you know? <laughs> um, and yet it has a wholeness to it. It has a love aspect to it. It has, um, I think it has hope. And, and we write about them in hopeful ways. Uh, we write about healing. There is conflict and there's resolve. There is tension and release. And, and that's what I constantly you know, strive for um, in, our, in our shows. In our shows, we try to make them exciting. You know, we try to bring the best lights, the best sound. We want the best for our fans. You know, when we, in the MTV days, when everybody was making videos, we were bringing video into the arena. First time it had ever been done was Journey. And everybody came to our headquarters to find out how to do it. You know, but Steve Perry said, you know, we're not going to make these corny videos anymore. We, he saw like a couple of them that we made and he goes, we're not, we're bad actors. You know, we shouldn't be doing this. And we get some director to tell our story about the, everybody's, when they hear a song like faithfully, they have their own movie. We don't need to show them a movie, you know, John. And I would say, you're right. I don't, I don't like it either. So thankfully that's kind of a, a thing of the past. And um, you know, yet it's a necessary thing to promote, you know, video. So we decided we're just going to make live videos of how good we are live. And that worked, you know, we made videos of us playing at, um, you know, Buffalo stadium center, my love, and I'll be right without you. And, you know, these live, uh, performances that were just incredible. Nobody could touch the band live. So we were that good. You know, I mean, when you see the MTV Houston show, that was the very first simulcast ever done live from the, the summit, which is now Joel Osteen's church. Uh, that night, we played live satellite from MTV to the TV. And um, I'm proud of that show. When I watch it, I'm just going, this band was something. You know, it's like watching the 49ers back in the old days. There we go. How good were they? Yep. Really good. Now, you and I need to do a show just on that, buddy. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Bill Walsh. I want to conclude with this uh, because – it's a rare treat to have both of you here. And I, I've observed you have a beautiful marriage. Thank you really you. do. Thank so you. after all that you've been through, uh, let's conclude with that. Okay. How, just briefly, how you met and what is the key or keys to the success of your marriage right mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. in ministry? I, I'll start with the key to success, and then we'll go back and let John and I tell how we met. 
which was on Southwest, by the way. That's how we met. So oh, fly Southwest, all you single ladies, all right? But um, the key to me is that John and I made a commitment to each other because we both have come through broken relationships and had been divorced. And knowing that our lives were different but very similar, that he lives on a stage most of his life, I live on a stage most of my life. I hate to say it that way, but we, we have maybe two different purposes, but ultimately kind of live out some of the same type of ways that could have those traps and failings and fallings. So we decided that we were always going to do life together. And that is our number one thing, because like he said, you go away and here's the trap. You're left out on the road for six months. Or if you just travel back and forth each day, you you end up really living separate lives. So John and I made a commitment to always do life together. Therefore, I'm here by his side today, though nobody would know I'd be. So when he goes on the road, I hub with him and I go out and I fly back and forth to the church or back and forth to D.C. or whatever my assignment was. When I'm out and John's not on the road, then he's with me and covering me. And so we we always do that. Then there are all the other things. We deeply uh, enjoy the same things. First and foremost, it's it sounds so staple, but it's just truth. We put God first in everything. He's just first, and all things flow from that. We love to ski. We love to scuba dive. We love to cook. Horse. We love horses. We love our German Shepherd, her simple things in life, serving God. Um, so we have a lot of common interests, and we just do life together. That's really it. I mean, Paula, I met Paula at a time when I was hungering to get, um, hear the voice of God again. I was at a place where it was quiet in my head, and yet I had this um, hunger. How can I get that voice back? How can God, I don't hear God anymore. I don't hear him. And I lost it, you know, somewhere. I'm sure all of you out there at one time or another have, have not heard from God. You know, like, why, why haven't I heard from God? He, he's always there, you know, and, and all of a sudden it went quiet. And I was writing my book, uh, Don't Stop Believing. At the time, I had my laptop, and I was writing about the fire, and you know, I was re- remembering how much I loved Jesus when I was a boy. I was a choir boy, you know, um, watching my father pray to Jesus on his knees, you know, in the pews of a Catholic church. And, and I, when Paula told me, you know, she dropped a book in the aisle, and I watched her come on the plane. I was, what? she's awfully cute, you know, and she's got all this stuff, and she's, you know, she drops this big giant book and it, it, it was a calling in the one or something. I thought, well, she must be a psychiatrist or a counselor or something, you know, <laughs> there's a relationship book on the ground. So I handed her this big book and I said, I'm sorry, those are really nice shoes, but what do you do for a living? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I just have to know. And she said, I'm a pastor, you know, and um, she was right across the aisle. And I was with all the guys in Journey and Foreigner and we had kind of taken up the front part of the plane, but we were in the back on the middle of the plane. And um, we began talking all the way to San Antonio, Texas. And the flight, it seemed like we, we didn't stop talking. Two hours and 40 minutes later, we were still talking, you know. And, um, but I asked her, I said, is it possible, you know, I know, to, to find Jesus the way I had felt like I had Jesus when I was eight, you know, my first communion. And um, I said, I just, and she told me, yeah, um, you, have, you have forgiving God. Uh, you've been running. I can tell you've been running. And she gave me three prophetic things that she told me and, and um, that the book was going to happen. Uh, she told me the book. and She knew about the studio that I was building. And she had a date, you know, this date. It's going to be a definite date. And I, I was intrigued. I didn't know who she was. She gave me her email. And um, I told her I was a 
amateur photographer. I take nature pictures when I'm on the road of these amazing places we ended up. And uh, so we stayed in touch, but she gave me encouragement and gave me a couple scriptures. Um, and I thought, you know, I something about her. There's something about her. And, and you know, a couple years later, you know, I ended up breaking free out of my relationship and I called her and I said, um, I'm, I'm still uh, wanting to know more. <laughs> mm. So, and then she. And by the way, Wade got that day. <laughs> I, I try to every day, but that was a. But I remember that conversation moment. being, you yeah. know, being really deep. And, and by, by the way, our listeners, uh, you know, it begs the question did you drop the book on purpose? He thinks I did, but I promise I did not, Dave. Did not. I did okay. not. It, made it a was thump. a setup. Maybe God had my hand loose that day. <laughs> that, that made a thump. I made a okay. thump, you know, and. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> He still thinks I always I, did. I always joke with my friends. I said I got I got the girl and God back, you know. Uh, and so it was really great because I was um, I got I, I'm restored by her spiritual father, uh, Duncan Williams, Archbishop mm-hmm. in Ghana. Yes. And I said when I met her, I'd never go to Africa and I was never going to get married. And I've been to Africa seven times and we got married three. Mm. So so <laughs> never say never. Um, but actually, Archbishop. Uh, Duncan Williams, if you don't know his work, uh, he's a tremendous prayer warrior. Um, he's an expert on the enemy. You know, he, 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 he teaches such deep stuff that, you know, you don't even, most of us don't even think about. And when I realized, you know, what, how, how deeply he, he prays, he has this prayer group that pray 24 hours a day, how important prayer is in our lives, mm-hmm. our, what our prayer lives really mean, you know, to, in defense, mm-hmm. to put up that hedge of protection, you know, around our families and stuff. Amen. And, and babe, and I've got to say this. When you said we got married three times, it's not because we've been divorced and remarried. No. It's because we got married in Ghana the first time. Right. And for a guy that said he'd never go to Africa, married me in Ghana, asked me to marry him in Ghana after a very supernatural. Then we came back, had our American wedding, and that was family and friends. And the church was like, well, what about us? So we got married for the church the next day. So uh, I figured we just sealed this one. One for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There you go. <laughs> and I loved every minute of it. You know, we had to. Should wonder, we do it again, babe? Uh, probably. Okay. We could do the fourth right <laughs> now. Right. Well, we could do, you know, let's well, have a big party we for doing have, it. We can, re, we can renew our vows on our 10-year anniversary. Here we, we go. We well, do that. unfortunately, we got to end the show. Yep. Uh, but I can tell you this, you know, like the late great bill bright would say god blesses those whom he can trust and and i believe that uh even though you have ministered both of you to millions around the world mm-hmm. you live for an audience of one mm-hmm. and god's given you a standing standing ovation hallelujah right now thank you dave yep love you god bless god bless, bless you dave thank you we hope you enjoyed this episode of the influencers podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. And we want you to access more of the resources. We'd love to hear your feedback on future episodes. Keep the conversation going and visit us at cityserve.us forward slash podcast. Remember, folks, use your influence to move people closer to Jesus and his mission.